This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, advised Russian troops in Kherson to flee as Ukrainian forces launched what a military spokesman described as offensive actions in several directions in the southern region. The regional capital, also called Kherson, was the first big Ukrainian city to be captured by Russian forces in March. The operation appears to have started with rocket strikes on command centres and bridges. It remains unclear whether these attacks presage a large-scale Ukrainian ground offensive in the south. Floods caused by unseasonal monsoon rains have now submerged a third of Pakistan, according to the country's climate minister. The death toll has risen to more than 1,100 people. The planning minister estimated at least $10 billion in damages and warned of food shortages. Separately, the IMF approved $1.1 billion of a bailout to help Pakistan avoid defaulting on its debts. Global warming is causing more of Greenland's ice sheet to melt than was previously believed, according to a new study, with its degradation now having passed the point of no return. Even without taking into account further human-generated carbon emissions, the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland estimates that at least 110 quadrillion tonnes of freshwater will join the oceans causing sea levels around the world to rise by 27 centimetres. In a joint statement, Germany and France warned against banning Russian tourists from entering the EU, saying it could estrange future generations. Other European countries, such as the Czech Republic and Denmark, have advocated for such a step. EU ministers will discuss the proposal on Tuesday as they weigh up further sanctions on Russia for its attack on Ukraine. At least 23 people died in Iraq during a protest by supporters of Muqtada al-Sadr, an influential Shia cleric who resigned from politics on Monday. Hundreds of Mr. Sadr's followers stormed the government palace in Baghdad, clashing with police and rival Shia factions. Iraq has been in political deadlock since Mr. Sadr's party won the most seats in elections last year, but was not able to form a government. America's Department of Justice said the raid of Donald Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago had unearthed some documents that are potentially subject to attorney-client privilege. The disclosure could strengthen Mr. Trump's request for a special master an independent officer appointed to review the seized evidence and filter out irrelevant material. That may be too late. The DOJ also revealed its team had already completed its review. A couple of hours before the latest possible time for takeoff on Monday, NASA postponed the launch of its Artemis moon mission because of engine problems. The project, at $23 billion, a colossal waste of money, has been a decade in the making. The agency's staff will meet on Tuesday to discuss their next move, ahead of the soonest opportunity to send the rocket into space on September 2nd. And fact of the day. 80. The number of captured soldiers from Ukraine's Azov regiment facing a Russian-controlled trial. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. A pivotal moment in Ukraine. On Monday, on the 8th anniversary of a massacre of Ukrainian soldiers in Donetsk province, the Ukrainian army launched an offensive against Russian forces in Kherson, a southern province. The historical resonance will have been clear to many of the fighters. The city of Kherson was the first big one to fall after Russia invaded in February. Ukrainian generals have hinted for months that they were preparing a counteroffensive, and in the early afternoon on Monday, they launched the attack. The Ukrainians laid the groundwork the night before by striking key bridges and Russian command points. Penetrating Russia's second line of defense will be harder. Fighting on Tuesday will be crucial in determining Kherson's fate. But Ukraine believes it is seizing the initiative. The front lines of the war have barely moved since late June. If Ukraine has now found a weak spot in Russia's armor, it could mark the beginning of a new phase of the conflict. Pakistan's Devastating Floods While droughts plague other parts of the world, swaths of South Asia are submerged by floodwaters, nowhere worse than in Pakistan. Unseasonal glacial melt from the Himalayas supercharged reservoirs in May. Monsoon rains then plunged the countryside into catastrophe. Official estimates put the death toll above 1,000, including 348 children. History suggests much worse is to come. Sherry Rahman, the Minister for Climate Change, called it a, quote, climate dystopia at our doorstep. Pakistan faces concurrent exposure to other forms of distress. The IMF's executive board met on Monday to approve the final tranches of a $6 billion loan facility drawn up earlier this year. Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, Pakistan's foreign minister, invoked the billions that will be lost to failed crops and his country's negligible carbon footprint per capita to plead his country's case. He has reason to be desperate. Commodity prices and inflationary pressures already had Pakistan's economy on the ropes even before the clouds burst. The Taliban's Empty Promises one year ago on Tuesday, Major General Chris Donahue, the commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, stepped aboard a C-17 transport plane at Kabul Airport. He was the last American soldier to leave Afghanistan after more than two decades of war following the Taliban's conquest of the capital. At that time, the Islamist group pledged to protect women's rights and forgive those who had worked for the American-led coalition. Those promises have proven hollow. Morality police patrol the streets to ensure that women are covered up. Girls are barred from secondary school. The economy is in freefall. And al-Qaeda, a terrorist group, is ensconced in Afghanistan once more. Its leader, Ayman al-Zawahiri, was in a wealthy Kabul neighborhood when an American drone strike killed him this month. Though violence has fallen precipitously, it is hardly the sort of peace that Afghans might have hoped for. EU Ministers Discuss Russia Ministers in the EU resumed their regular meetings this week after a summer break. Russia's war in Ukraine will dominate the proceedings of an informal gathering of the bloc's 27 foreign ministers in Prague on Tuesday. Countries in Central and Eastern Europe are keen to ban the issuance of visas to Russian citizens to emphasize their isolation. But leaders in Western Europe are skeptical, fearing that such an act smacks of collective punishment. 
A compromise looks more likely, whereby Russia would lose preferential treatment when applying for European visas, a perk given to friendly countries. This would lumber Russian travelers with higher costs and longer wait times. It would also assuage the concerns of countries such as Finland, a firm ally of Ukraine's, which have been used by Russians as a layover point for further international travel. The People's Princess Redux. A quarter of a century has passed since Diana, Princess of Wales, died in a car crash in Paris. At fault was her driver and her own failure to wear a seatbelt. A jury also found that the quote, grossly negligent driving of paparazzi had contributed to her death. The quote, people's princess still commands intense media attention, even if it has grown increasingly difficult to find any scrap of new information about her life. Two documentaries, Sky's *The Princess* and Channel 4's *Investigating Diana: Death in Paris*, were recently released. The fifth season of *The Crown* later this year will keep her in the spotlight. Princess Diana was personally shy of the media. Her most notable interview was in 1995 with Martin Bashir of the BBC in a scoop that an inquiry ruled last year was obtained by deceit on Mr. Bashir's part. Others in her family, particularly her youngest son, the Duke of Sussex, have been more forthcoming, but none has been as successful in garnering public sympathy. Princess Diana was a master of the politics of emotion in a way that hasn't been replicated since. Daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso@economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday, which U.S. state contains the Bryce Canyon and Zion National Parks? Monday, who was the wife of Jupiter in Roman mythology? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Seamus Heaney, who died on this day in 2013. God is a foreman with certain definite views. That's the world in brief from the Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to the Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app to start listening. <laughs>